We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Intellectual property sounds like the abstract preserve of intangible products or something for the lawyers to worry about while we get on with running our e-commerce businesses. But we hope to convince you today that it's a very powerful form of property you should look to own in your e-commerce business, both for defensive and sort of brand building reasons. Intellectually, property can be incredibly valuable. Famously, Michael Jackson bought the rights to the Beatles song catalogue from Paul McCartney in 1985 for $47 million. And by 2016, that was valued in a Sony deal at $750 million, basically for a lot of sounds that form songs. Well, that's all very well in the abstract world of music. Is it relevant in e-commerce when we mostly own physical goods? Well, Jason, in the introduction to your excellent book, E-commerce Power, you talk about dominating a niche being like owning a valuable castle and you want to surround it by moats filled with sharks and anaconda snakes. So in other words, owning a valuable piece of property or real estate and then vigorously protecting it. So intellectual property, I think, has two really powerful functions for our business. It's a powerful form of everyday defense against raiders to protect what we've built. And it's also a form of property that can, in the right circumstances, have value in and of itself. So I think it's both a wonderful asset class that's mostly ignored and a defensive strategy. And the fact that it's mostly ignored, even amongst otherwise pretty savvy seven and even eight figure e-commerce business operators, tells me that there's a great opportunity there that other people are ignoring so jason are you ready to plunge into this and do you love ip in your business <laughs> yeah, i am ready to plunge into this i do love the topics of intellectual property and i'm really looking forward to the conversation and just want to make sure everyone is is dialed in with us and, and thinking about this and I, I know that i generally speak to broad or e-commerce topics and and shopify site owners and, and, and brand builders, that kind of thing. And you're very, very focused with your clients on Amazon sellers. Hopefully mm. in this conversation, we can marry the two together and really talk about it from an Amazon seller point of view, what it means for that use case. And also then brought more broadly in terms of you know building business assets and that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm really excited about the conversation. Let's jump into it together, man. Lead us through your point of view on this stuff. And then I'm happy to, to jump in as well. Yeah, well, I suppose the first thing we should do is define what we mean by intellectual property. Now, my understanding is that there, and again, I should preface everything by saying I'm not a lawyer, I'm not legally trained, yeah, I'm the son right. of a lawyer, so I'm like even more wary than most people about giving out un unsolicited legal advice. Yeah. So if in doubt, please consult a professional. I'm hoping to convince you that it's worth consulting one is probably my starting point. So having got that out of the way. Well, let me just uh, yeah, please. tack on at the very top of the show then a, a little recommendation. Google around and find an intellectual property attorney in the nearest metropolitan area to you. Michael, you're in London, so it's not an issue for you. I'm in Seattle, so it was very easy for us to find a wonderful IP attorney. Her name's Heather. I've actually referred her to people in the US before that don't know an IP attorney, but the simplest thing is find one in your lo local metropolitan area that you can chat with, 
uh, use for the, the legal process steps in various situations. And I think that's a key thing is don't depend on Google for, for your real yeah. intellectual property attorney needs. Go yeah. find one locally and have a real conversation. So there you go. That's my, that's I, true. I, I would also say don't depend on podcasts, including this one. And yeah. really, please yeah. don't go to Facebook groups. If you're an Amazon seller for yeah. tax advice or legal advice. I mean, that's yeah, just a dumb yeah. idea. I mean, if you're going to get advice, get it from a professional. So this is a spark to your your mm. thinking. Right. But having said that, let's let's get to it. So I think yeah. there are three main kinds in my understanding. There's trademarks, which is probably the best well-known, mm. but mm. there's a little known nuance about the differences between the design mm. and utility patterns, which mm. a lot of people aren't clear about. The mm. second one is copyright, which is probably the easiest to deal with, the least expensive and the least used. So Robert Wright, uh, who came in to talk to the mastermind on Wednesday, is a big, big fan of using copyright. And it's if you're in America, mm. I'm very jealous because you have a fantastic system there for mm. registering it. So the three forms that intellectual property takes in my understanding are um, trademarks this is basically if you're going to get a register a name or a brand that's probably the best known mm -hmm. uh, particularly for amazon sellers because they're frankly uh, got their marketing head on first and foremost and they want to get access to brand registry and a plus content then there's copyright which is probably the most ignored and is the easiest to use to take other people down if they're copying your property and in mm -hmm. the us you have a fantastic system for dealing with it that i'm very jealous of and then the third one is patents or patents uh, people argue about even mm -hmm. how to say it which is the most expensive expensive and takes the longest so probably the least attractive but also underused in the right situation yeah so okay. Uh, those are the three forms I understand. There's a fourth form, which is a trade secret, such as Kentucky mm -hmm. Fried Chicken's famous herbs mm -hmm. and spices, but that's yeah. pretty unusual, although it does come up if you've got topicals and you've got a unique formulation to a cream that you put on skin, etc. Yeah, there's other weird nuances like trade dress is a thing and that kind of trade mm -hmm. dress is like your color palette and scheme and that kind of thing. But those mm -hmm. are nuances that are very, you know, fairly uncommon. But the big three that you mentioned, I think are great for us to talk through and help and everybody understand a little bit more about them in today's show. Uh, I love that. So registering your name or your brand in the U.S. that might be different than in the in the U.K. Hmm. So let's talk. Is that the first one you want to talk through? You want to jump? Well, in I think one? it's important to really be clear about why we need to bother with intellectual property in the first place. I'm okay. going to spend sure. long on it, but it's it's often the sort of thing that people are very busy if mm -hmm. they're owner operators and it gets left because it doesn't feel urgent yeah. but i think there are three main reasons and then one extra one for amazon sellers so the, the first reason is to protect yourself against spurious allegations of infringement from others mm -hmm. and that is not a thing that may happen day one day if you're selling in any kind of visible category whether it's ranking on google selling on shopify or on amazon that's going to happen and it's going to happen with increasing frequency the more you sell and the more visible you are so i really think this is incredibly important if you get your ip sorted properly you could be back in days if your listing gets taken down by amazon if you don't have that you could be suspended for months and that's a huge hole in your revenue so it's really yeah. a serious thing to get onto straight away and not leave leave do, to, to risk do you have any funny examples of that i have a few that i could mention that they're just cautionary tales <laughs> um I've got a couple, but I don't know if I've got anything very cool. If you've got something, let's let's hear it. Well, I there's I don't think they'd mind me saying this. I think it's probably public information, but you know there was a charity that I was uh, I interviewed uh, with them and didn't end up working there, but it was it was called Life Water, and I remember during the time of the interview, they're California charity, and you know they do well drilling around the world and that kind of thing. But at the time of the my interview, when I was interacting with them, I think it was Pepsi Cola company had come out with their water product line and it was all called Life Water. And 
So they immediately were very concerned and it turned into an intellectual property question. And so they, I think that, you know, it was interesting because they had to immediately get schooled up on what was legal, what wasn't legal, what, what standing they had. And it was a situation where I think it was, I think fair to say, a relatively small you know, organization who saw a massive giant company come in and use their exact same name. And even the logo was very similar. And the question was, what is our rights? What is Pepsi's rights? You know, what just happened to us type thing. And so the legal stuff mattered in that situation. And they had to learn it in a defensive posture or a reactionary posture and mode versus knowing up front we're we're, you know, we've got our, you know, our our, our terms and and brand and all of that stuff on lockdown. We know we have it defensible in the certain specific use cases. And so that, that was an interesting one to me. I think there are a lot of use cases for registered brands in the US that you have to understand how it works and what the law does mean. And if you're just new to e-commerce and you're just setting up a brand, you just have to learn this stuff so that yeah. you understand what what is the system or process by which this occurs, what's legal, what's not legal, so that you don't you know break the law, but also to your point, so that somebody doesn't come in and, and take away something that you thought was valuable for you when in fact maybe you didn't own it you know so yeah well that's yeah. The, i guess it's related to the second reason that i think it's really important to take this seriously uh, from very early on which mm -hmm. is to protect yourself against other people stealing your intellectual property now okay pepsi cola is a bit of an unusual one most of us <laughs> come across a family that something that giant yeah. but it's it's often the case that quite big sort of medium-sized company not mm -hmm. as huge as pepsi will come and allege uh, infringement of of uh, it could be patents could be trademark could be copyright could be mm -hmm. uh, all three in fact often is more so yeah. that's one reason. The other one is it more common that you go to, say, Alibaba and you see that somebody is using your images or that you mm -hmm. go to Alibaba and they're using a cop product yeah. that you actually had a patent on. And if you've got a patent mm -hmm. and a copyright, you could use either or both to take them down, which would mean that Alibaba would take it very seriously. And by the way, Alibaba is actually part of it anyway is american based so they will actually follow u.s intellectual property law perhaps to your surprise but also delight so that's one example so that that again is a very common thing in the amazon space and i think just generally in e-commerce yeah. yeah no totally agree and that's the big you know that's the huge challenge but the the nuance here is some stuff you think might not be fair is actually legal <laughs> and yeah. some stuff that you think might be uh legal that you're doing is actually copyright infringement so you just have to learn the rules of the road it's like learning to drive a car yes and driving a car in britain is very different than driving the car in seattle washington yeah. so you have to learn the rules of the road and i think that's the whole point here is you, you've got to learn the system so that you can understand what is how to yeah. use it and and how other people can use it against you as well you know absolutely so. and i think you need to learn this is what i hope to get out as part of educating e-commerce leaders is yeah understanding the basic legal principles that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also consult an attorney but if you have an understanding of the principles that drive it just as you have understanding of the principles that drive finance mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you don't speak to a tax lawyer then then yeah. what it means is you can start to think in a legally valid way rather mm -hmm. than that's not fair which is mm -hmm. as you say fairness and and what they call natural justice and law don't always coincide mm -hmm. so the third reason to to get this right is uh, a longer term one and for a lot of people it's hard to get your head around again you're, you're dealing with this month's problem or today's firefighting 
but it's it could be costing you millions, which is mm-hmm. blocking the sale of your business if you haven't got this stuff on lockdown. Now, due diligence is the boring part with the paperwork and books need to be ordered. I've heard of a $2 million business sale being stopped by a lack of documentation of some mm-hmm. copyright from some person on, I think, pro, um, Upwork five years ago. That was one thing that Robert mentioned. Uh, a member of the Mastermind's recently been selling his business and he said it almost stopped uh, the sale because of wow. an issue around uh, intellectual property rights as well. So again, uh, if you're going to be making a sale worth several hundred thousand or, or million or more, it's a bit silly to not spend a couple of hundred bucks on, on some very simple copyright, you know, tying up or, or something more expensive, but that is intrinsic to your business, like the formulation of a face cream or something. It's really interesting, you know, I mean, the question is, what will motivate us to do this hard legal yes. work? Yeah, this is a good and question. There's, it's, there's, there's only two motivators, man. There's either a hope for gain or fear of loss, right? It's, and and that is, that's really interesting that, you know, I think the diligence part of being ready to sell your business is, yeah, is a key factor. If you think you want to sell, then going through that list of what do I control and ownership of that I do need a document to make sure someone else can say, oh, you own this. Yes. Now I'm buying it from you. Okay, great. (laughs) Rather than saying, do you really own that? And am I really buying it from you? Yes or no? I'm not sure. So I'm going to slow down the sale or, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. I I think normally it's not so much a question of slowing down the sale. It's in, in some cases, especially the more risk averse buyers, it, it's simply stopping the sale. That's what sure. I mean. It's, it's, yeah. it's for want of a nail, the, the battle was lost, you know, as, as we yeah. say in that, that English phrase, you know, so it's, it's a really foolish reason not to have got it sorted, but also mm-hmm. more profoundly, what is it you're actually selling? It, mm-hmm. it, it becomes very, it, mm-hmm. it seems very, very abstract until you come to sell a business. And that's why I think every single business owner, even if they intend to pass their um, business onto the grandchildren, and we've got a couple of businesses I've worked with that have literally done that in the past, that they are like the great grandsons of the founders, etc. But nevertheless, you should be clear about what it is you own and your business owns, because if you're not, that means you're vulnerable to people attacking you, C.1. So either which way, it doesn't matter which way you slice it, you need to be clear what you own and you need to be able to prove it. And then it's very quick and easy if there's a problem. And if it isn't, then you're creating a a potential, you know, muddy mess for yourself that could drag out for months and ironically is going to cost you a lot more money as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love this. Let's keep going through this. Now, I also just want to mention for our audience that is is watching with us live, pop in questions underneath this this video, wherever you're watching it, on any questions you have about this topic so far and things that you want us to talk about as we go forward. So, Michael, take us deeper into this. What do you think is the first area that we should focus on as small business owners in this regard? Good question. So I've got really two answers. I mean, the broad answer, I think, is probably the most valuable, which is Robert Wright, who I think is my favorite person to talk about this. I know a couple of very good lawyers who specialize in intellectual property for e-commerce, but the other one being CJ Rosenbaum, also very good. But Robert's got a nice knack. He's from Kentucky. He's got a nice relaxed manner. He's got a fantastic knack for keeping it very simple. And he says that the best mentality is to think about wrapping anything valuable you own, whether it's a product, an entire brand, or even a piece of packaging you put time and effort into in multiple layers of intellectual property. So to your metaphor, Jason, mm-hmm. if you've got a valuable little castle, yeah. even if it's a very small one, you want to surround it by moats and put anacondas mm-hmm. in your moats. So yeah. that means really you probably want to sit down and, and talk over it with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, there's no reason unless cost is, is a big factor mm-hmm. that you wouldn't, if something's truly valuable, wrap it in as many layers as you can. So just to give a flavor of the cost, if you've got a product that is giving you uh, sales of, say, you know, $100,000 a year and maybe even a profit of 20 and you expect the lifetime of that to be 
you know, three years or something like that, maybe more. Yeah. That's worth $60,000 in future uh, revenue to you, or sorry, profits. So mm-hmm. I think it's very justifiable to spend $1,500 to $2,000 on a design patent, which I understand from Robert is roughly what it would cost in the US. And it's probably mm-hmm. easier in the UK because it's a smaller, simpler system. Maybe uh, a couple of hundred bucks re- registering the images of that product. And then you could even, if you have a separate trademark uh, around that line within the overall brand of your business, then mm-hmm. trademarking that for maybe um, $1,000 if you go through a law in the US or something. And so maybe invest three, three, four thousand in order to protect 60. That feels to me like an excellent investment. And if you think in those terms, in yeah. turning it into numbers, I think then it starts to make a lot of sense. So yeah. that's a broad brush uh, answer, I guess. But I think that's the way to look at it. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And the, the, the weird part about this whole system is you can kind of get away with stuff and you can kind of do things that aren't actually technically I'm not saying it's not legal, but you can, for example, many people have just made up a name, started putting it on packaging, started selling it on Amazon, and you don't actually own the intellectual property associated with that brand product. Now, if you're not brand registered on Amazon, you don't care until you want to be brand registered. And then you realize, oh, I need a registered trademark. And so that registered trademark piece becomes real at that point. And I think that's the key key thing is these things become real when they're necessary to you. And it's a weird environment in which you can kind of play business and make believe in these spaces and make real money mm. on the back of non-documented, non-legally put together process. And it just creates a weird environment where you can ignore it a little bit. And well, that's the caution is that would people would ignore this stuff mm. until, until it becomes a, a real problem. It comes back to bite them. So, yeah. Yeah, as you said, it comes out to your motivation. What I would say is, um, I mean, lawyers listening will be holding their head in their hands and saying UK and US have a common law system as well as a statute-based mm-hmm. system. So trademark, for example, is something called trade dress. You mentioned it earlier. My understanding, and I'm not a lawyer, talk to a lawyer if you need to, is that uh, if you sell a product under a type of packaging and a brand name for long enough, then under common law, it's obvious that it's, it's about the origin, really, that you're not trying to dupe anyone, that this is definitely a product made by you know vz incorporated or you know miles wonderful widgets or whatever and if somebody else were to use miles wonderful widgets they kind of be expecting your widgets not somebody else's so there is a bit of common sense this is where common sense and common law do often over interact the trouble is common law in the both countries as i understand it is based on legal precedent which is judges making hopefully sometimes some common sense and sometimes less common sense decisions which then get used by other judges in future but that gets very messy and 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 people start reaching for law books and then it's up for argument. What I think is great about registering stuff, which I think, as I understand it, is more possible in the UK and the US, sorry, overall than in the UK, mm-hmm. is that it's written down by a government office that's yeah. gone through a process and pretty much everyone's going to take that seriously. It's going to be quick, it's going to be clear, yeah. and it's going to be unarguable or at least yeah. fairly unarguable relative to that. And I think that's the point is documentation by a government sure. agency is, yeah. you know, the, the biggest club you have in your bag to defend yourself, really. So, Registering your brand is the first thing to focus on if you're operating under a brand. And that means if you have a domain name that you use Mm -hmm. or uh, a name of your product that you've gone to market with on Amazon, you want to, you know, have that be a a registered brand name. The the process of, you know, several times now in the U.S., generally speaking for us, it's taken about nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think 12 to $1,800 was sort of the range we paid. We always felt like it was wiser to go through an intellectual property attorney than to just use the boilerplate paperwork system tools that you can find on websites, you know, but, but you can use tools and automated systems. The problem is 
if you do that for registered trademark in the US at least, there's a period where other people can challenge what you're doing hmm. and you have to respond. And those are the moments in which you want an intellectual property attorney because you're like, what is this? How does this work? Yeah. <laughs> and an IP attorney will be like, okay, this is how it works. This is what we do right now. Here's the process. And so anyway, so that's sort of the the registered brand, you know, thing. Now, technically in the US, I don't know how it works in the UK, but technically in the US, when you apply to have your brand registered, you can use the TM symbol next to it. Uh-huh. And then when you receive the registered trademark status from the USPTO.gov uh, uh, website, then you get the R symbol that yes. you're, you're supposed to I, use, I the registered say. trademark. Yeah. Many people use the TM because they've seen other people doing it in practice <laughs> and yeah. don't ever actually realize it's tied to sort of a... It's a it's a symbol system tied to a process in the U.S. and uh, but anyway, so that's nuance. But uh, neither here nor there. The the point is, you want to go through the process and learn how it works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say there is a case for not using a lawyer at a certain point, and I would say that's if you're starting off with a brand new product line and you don't have a big budget and it's not got proven value yet. I mean, that's mm-hmm. there's there's arguments. Mm-hmm. If you're in the U.S., I would be more inclined to use a, a lawyer because it's a much more complex yeah. legal system. In the U.K., it's a fairly straightforward place and. You can trademark something for about two hundred pounds or two hundred fifty dollars yeah. plus, maybe fifty pounds per class. And we'll talk about what class mm-hmm. means in the second one. Your understanding of it and mine might be mm-hmm. different because we're not lawyers, but yeah. uh, it's pretty inexpensive. And if you've got a product going out there, you've done your due diligence up front. At least you're not mm-hmm. going to get sued by somebody or uh, an allegation, yeah. and that you're using somebody else's uh, trademark, which is important. And then. If yeah. it proves valuable down the line, I'd probably get a lawyer to double check your work. But I would say yeah. that if you've got an established brand that's valuable, I wouldn't mess about with that. I would just go straight for a lawyer. So you mentioned classes. Do you want to talk through that a little bit? Just the nuance there. So, Yeah. So the, my um, understanding is is that there are, I can't remember how, is it 40 classes in the US and something like that in the UK? Maybe it's 35, but it's, it's probably going to change in a couple of years in a way, the nature of these things. And broadly, it relates to the type of products that you're selling. So if you're selling, you know, kitchenware, it's not going to be the same as software, which isn't the same as legal services, obviously. So you'll end up in probably want to do to to register in two three or four classes where you even think you might have a challenge from a similar country company so there's a sort of gray area so if you're selling cookware but it could be used in the garden i don't even know if they're at separate classes but for example you want to just cover all the common sense bases and don't be too stingy about the fact that maybe if you're using a lawyer it costs you a couple of hundred bucks extra to to register another class or something i think you should be generous as it were and, and cover as many classes as you think you can claim and that gives you the broadest protection yeah that's where it can really become confusing and there's nuance you know so i always use the uh the example for people who are familiar in the u.s probably with a school called old dominion and then there's a trucking company called old dominion well a university and trucking companies uh, same exact name completely different industries and yes. so that's the yeah. way in which you think about the registration of trademarks now you can register in different classes of business if you're going to operate in them and the question is are you know are you in a category that's similar to a competitor mm. when you go through the process that's what a lot of the attorneys are looking for is is there a name structure that is in our class that is too similar or yeah. identical and when they're identical it's obvious but when they're similar then they can there's still process for that old established company to say oh what's happening right now so that's the classes are sort of the nuance of how to do the registered 
trademark process. And, and it's something to learn about and understand. And that's where, you know, people can get confused about what's legal and what's not legal. I had a funny, yeah. funny example of this. We, we, I think I've said this in another podcast before, which just <laughs> cracks me, always cracks me up is we, we had this, we, we name all of our outfits when cinnamon does a design we'll, she'll name it something you know and so she has this whole australian line of outback clothing and so she had this one design and we called it boomer it falls because that's a that's a uh, like a, a waterfall in the middle of nowhere in australia and we looked on a map and named it boomer it falls well i got uh, connected by this guy one time in australia who was so adamant that he was going through the process of registering his IT company for boomer for for baby boomers and he was calling it boomer IT and boomer IT is boomerit which is the name of this waterfall is the same you are he you know wanted to use the same URL and he was convinced that I need to do something different but the problem was we had done that work like a decade earlier and it was all over the internet it, the internet was ensconced with our use of the phrase boomer at falls for this design idea. And he was demanding that I like stop using this phrase because he was not even, <laughs> he didn't even own it. He was just going through the process. And I, it was so comical to me. I said to him, you know, first of all, that's impossible. Second of all, are you an attorney? <laughs> and he was like, no. I was like, well, I said, no disrespect, man, but that's not how any of this works. Yeah. And you know, so it was it was a hilarious example of number one, don't act like you know what you're doing if you're not an attorney and you yeah. don't know it because it, it's one thing in just your own country, like in the UK, you know something in the US, you think you know something. Huh. But if you try to go international with this stuff, it gets uh, particularly thorny because there's different rules in different places. So all, yeah. all that to say these these ca classes become a, an important part of it and understanding where people have rights and where they don't have rights and where you, ha you have rights and where you don't have rights. Yeah. Anyway, uh, long story to say, it's important. What, I, what yeah. I would say also in a couple of places, one of the things that with IPO, I've been going through the process with a client who's got a, a new business. So he's not trading yet, but it's still been uh, interesting. To, uh, the, the more I learn about this stuff, the more I get people to go through the trademark process earlier and earlier in the process these days. But mm -hmm. sometimes if it doesn't permit to do DIY trademark mm -hmm. registration in the UK, I, I did, I have to say, I did send this chapter to talk to a couple of lawyers first. So I feel okay about that, but he made his own decision. But what I would say is, Two things. I mean, first of all, you want to probably avoid any gray area. So if you sell mm -hmm. homeware and you're called Marvelous Products and somebody else sells, I know, garden furniture called Marvelous Products, for me, that's too close to comfort. I would just change the name if I had a chance up front. And if, if I discovered there was a place called Boomer yeah. um, Falls and I hadn't been selling for 10 years using that brand name, I'd probably choose something different. So that's the first thing. Just avoid any sort of near brushes with things that are similar enough in category or class that mm -hmm. they might conceivably cause a problem. Because even if you can see yeah. them off, that's going to cost you lawyers fees as a distraction from operating your business mm -hmm. the second one is nothing like as nasty or defensive but it's called descriptive if, if your brand name for example if you sell quality homeware products you probably can't call your brand quality homeware because that's just a description yeah. of the products and in the uk i've seen quite a few rejections of trademarks on that basis it's not something that the uk authorities are going to really shake a big stick at you about as i understand in the us they will just reject it and tell you why and at that point you probably do want a lawyer in your black pocket mm -hmm. but the best way around that that robert Wright's very fond of is simply making a name up that sounds like a name but isn't anything and therefore it is genuinely unique uh, the downside is it, it might not feel very descriptive of the products for the consumers so there's a bit of a balance to be struck there in terms of brand naming yeah, totally agree with everything you just said. It's really wise to come up with a novel 
thing. And in the in the e-commerce power book, I use this example where it's like raise ice cream with a Y and raise ice cream with an R-A-E and and a few other <laughs> variants. And it, the question is, what's legal? And in your in your mind, you say to yourself, can I have this be my name? But the truth is, all of those are failures because it's just not unique. There's no novelty. And so you, what you, you want to do something that is novel, compound words where you com- combine two words is a good uh, strategy, as, it, as you, you just mentioned. Neologism is the, you know, a new word where you make it up. And, and those are all really good ideas. And, and it is hard. It, it, you know, it is hard to come up with something new. I've many times have tried to come up with a brand name, searched locally in Washington State, and there's already a business called that, and then searched you know, for trademarks or just broadly on the internet. And then you find out, oh, 22 people use this already or they're all <laughs> yeah. fighting over this phrase. Like, I don't want to be the 23rd person yeah. battling out for this this name. And so it can be very, and, and but the, your advice is super sound, which is avoid similarity. And if you have something that's similar to something else that's already out there, start over yeah. and come up not, with a novel, unique thing. Yeah, Not worth it. The thing is, some things are worth fighting over and spending money on lawyers to defend, but a, a mediocre name is probably not one of them. <laughs> I mean, so unless you've been training on it for 10 years, in which case, yeah. I guess you've made your bed, you're going to have to lie on it. But if you have a choice, then I would I would consider changing that. So we also talk about brand registry because it's, it's one of the main, most, you know, for Amazon sellers, and I know yeah. it's not, not yeah. relevant to Shopify, so I'll keep it brief. But one of the reasons that you want to get a trademark, and f- frankly, most people do that is to get access to A plus content. Yep. Um, but also uh, it, brand registry also means you get a, a, you get access to Amazon's system for kicking trademark or any kind of intellectual property infringers mm-hmm. or alleged ones off the platform. And that's two, that, that goes two ways. If you're going to sell on Amazon, you absolutely should get on with brand registry because then you can do the same things other people do to you but equally in that environment you kind of basically they'll shoot first and then ask questions later and the reason why is because i understand that the dmca that the digital millennium act meant the congress said Mm -hmm. that that marketplaces like amazon or ebay are not liable for for ipa infringements if they Mm -hmm. act promptly so that means that basically alleging that somebody's made ip allegation means that they act as if they have and then it's kind of up to them to prove their innocence now Mm -hmm. if you're on the other side of that once again having documentation of everything possible copyright included is is a really smart idea so to get done with that you basically need to to do one of, of two things if you've got a uk trademark you can get access to brand registry for a plus content and the brand analytics which are very valuable but mm-hmm. you want to be aware that it will not protect you against ip uh, infringement mm-hmm. claims so in the end you have if you're going to sell in the us you want to get mm-hmm. a us trademark and the same if you're selling a uk get a uk trademark as well sure so i think you had some good hacks for getting through that reasonably quickly what, what are your thoughts on that if you know well, I mean, I, all I know about Amazon is what I hear Kyle talk to all our coaching clients about <laughs> when we're on our joint calls with our coaching clients that a, a lot of uh, folks we work with are, are fantastic Amazon sellers. And so this whole process, I think, is very um, helpful now that Amazon has basically created a system by which if you haven't gotten a registered trademark, you can, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, or go, go research it yourself, but Amazon has a process now by which you can basically go through their system to apply for your registered trademark with attorney groups or whatever law firms that they vetted and validated. And they give you basically a fast track to, to, to be brand registered if you're in the process with a vetted firm they use 
super helpful, super, super nice. Now, again, I'm not an expert on this, but go, go check it out. But that's really a nice fast track to get the A plus content unlocked and all that kind of stuff on Amazon. If you haven't gone through a traditional registered trademark process, you know, how you can speed it up beyond that. I don't know. I've always done all my registered trademark stuff outside of the Amazon universe. It was never my my area of focus when I was doing it. And at least in the US, I know that there have been periods where it's been slower and then periods where it's been faster, where literally, you know, it just take, I, I think what, at one point for one of my trademarks, it t- took like 16 months or 18 months because it was just a slowed down season of their work load or I don't know what if government strikes or something but but frequently it's like you know nine months or something like that so but for the Amazon people you do have this sort of backdoor if you haven't done it yet you have this sort of use Amazon's process and they help you expedite it at least for their process that doesn't mean you actually have any registered trademark protections or you know anything outside of Amazon they're just allowing you to you know kind of speed things up for them on their side I do want to talk about DMCA for a moment if if we can talk through that yeah yeah so the Digital Millennium Copyright Act gave a process by which you can challenge intellectual property claims on marketplaces and websites and so as a marketplace operator what that means for me is I have to have a process in my marketplace, my website, Pixie Fair, to receive a complaint about intellectual property and then manage that complaint. And so Amazon also has to have that process in place. And obviously, you know, with my, with my universe of, you know, my marketplace is, you know, tiny compared to Amazon, but they had to do this at scale. And so they had to have a process by which they understood who was the registered trademark owner for all of these various named items and products and brands. And, and so it's great that they've gotten it sorted out. And the DMCA process is not new. That's like old. That's like really old. But Amazon's just, you know, come to this process that is actually, I think, very valuable, especially for people who had a lot of sellers camping on one, you know, a branded product where there was question about, you know, kind of did the company who was actually the maker and manufacturer even control of what's happening on Amazon? You know, you hear those scenarios where it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like a you're not even in control of what's happening on Amazon in your own with your own product because of your sales channels and all that kind of thing. Hmm. So I think it has helped tremendously as far as I understand. I don't know your thoughts on, on that, but there you go. Yeah. yeah. I think Amazon's kind of come up to speed with what, what was needed really. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the main thing I would say is I guess it kind of functions if you sell primarily on Amazon uh, or for the part of your business that is on Amazon, it's kind of effectively a law, a legal system within itself based on a principle that most legal systems do not share, which is you're in, you're in guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you need to be very, very aware and prepare accordingly. This is mm-hmm. like the theme of the, the whole podcast here, isn't it? That just because somebody hasn't taken you down yet because you've only sold, mm-hmm. you know, 10 grand a month with a couple of products doesn't mean it isn't going to happen when you get to Great 50 point. or get to top of page one. Mm-hmm. And if they do, what, what can happen is seems very unfair. In the normal law court, somebody would make an allegation. You'd wait months to go to court. Mm-hmm. Then in court, they'd have to bring evidence beyond reasonable doubt in the criminal court or beyond the probability of it's in the you know, mm-hmm. lawsuit and then after that they take your pro- products down on amazon it's the opposite somebody alleges mm-hmm. something your listing's gone within 15 minutes possibly and then you need to prove your innocence so once again if you do sell within amazon although it does mm-hmm. obey the laws of the united states or the uk mm-hmm. uh, similar with ebay probably because ironically the pressure of the 
the, you know, the acts that are passed pressurizes them to protect themselves such that they will take things down immediately if there's any allegations. Yeah. So you need to be prepared for that and you must have your paper in order. Otherwise, you're, you know, hope is not a strategy. They always say that in the Marines, I understand, but it seriously is not. If you've got a messy sort of trail with missing pieces to it and no registration with the government body, it could take months to get reinstated. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. That mm-hmm. destroys businesses. So, so just don't take the risk is what I would say in that. Well, we just camped on trademark for a long old we time. Have done. Let's yeah. move on to the other two <laughs> forms of intellectual property we want to copy, uh, talk about today, which is the, the second one was copyright. Yes. So I think that's really important to talk through. So you it want is. to kick that one off for us and we can walk through that. Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the e-commerce leader. Let's hope you found that interesting. Obviously, there was quite a wide-ranging discussion, but we did sort of camp on trademarks for ages. I just encourage you to listen to the next episode where we talk about copyright, because that's a very underused form of intellectual property that's actually pretty quick and easy to get in place and is a very powerful and fairly easy-to-use tool insofar as anything legal is easy to use to defend your property if somebody else steals your images, etc. But that said, really what we're trying to get across is a couple of things. First of all, don't be scared about this area. It's very doable. It doesn't have to be super expensive. If you hire the right people, it can be a very affordable way of protecting what you have and protecting yourself against allegations that you're using somebody else's uh, intellectual property. I would add one little thing which we didn't really cover today, which is if you're starting off with a new brand name or a new product, that you really should make sure that you do your due diligence up front, which is to say make sure that you're not infringing on anyone's patent because you're selling a product that uh, somebody else owns the patent of. And I can say from personal experience, sadly, having had to stop selling one of the products I saw sold on Amazon, that just because it looks like nobody owns the patent doesn't mean nobody does. <laughs> just because it hasn't been enforced, because everybody else is doing it, doesn't mean there isn't a problem. And it's not a very solid way to build a business. Hopefully, also much more ambitious than that, you really are wrapping layers and layers of protection around everything you do. And what that means is that what you have in a business is more valuable because it's more defensible, whether you own it or whether you're selling it onto somebody else in future. So really would encourage you to educate yourself about this. Hope we've started that process or are continuing it if you've already been thinking about it. And if you want a good lawyer to speak to, my personal recommendation would be Robert Wright or possibly CJ Rosenbaum of Amazon Sellers Lawyer. Either of them would be very versed in both intellectual property and how that interacts with e-commerce and specifically Amazon. Uh, Or you could do the route that Jason suggested, which is finding a local lawyer to you that you can learn to know and trust over time. Either way, good luck with your journey. The final thing to say is that our contest is over, but there's still great value in subscribing to the show. So don't forget to subscribe to the e-commerce leader on a podcast player of your choice. Thanks very, very much for listening. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.